The biggest blocker seems to be, for lack of a more graceful term, self-deception, where people are, they'll tell themselves stories about why they can't do it. Whether you're a seasoned engineer or climbing up the ladder, there are always questions that come up. Asim Razak, founder of Yoda Scale and a leader at companies like PayPal and eBay, has lived them, survived them, and is here to share to help you get where you want to go. Stay tuned and check out the show notes for how to submit your questions for future episodes. Hello, everyone. I am Asim Razak, and in this episode of Always an Engineer, I am grateful to welcome Harry Max. Harry and I go back many years. Uh, Harry uh, was the founder of the first startup that I joined, but over the years, he's been a mentor, a coach, a friend, an advisor, and has helped me in more ways that I can explain even through the entirety of this podcast. So I'm, I'm really, really grateful that he was able to make time and join us. And our topic today is going to be prioritizing prioritization. So how do you make sure you get out of this vicious cycle of knowing that you need to prioritize, you try something, you're not able to do it, how do you make it a habit? So a lot to unpack there. Uh, Harry's doing a lot of work in that area. And so welcome, Harry. Welcome to the podcast. I'm super glad to be here. Thank you a lot for the invite. I was delighted to hear from you about this. And I love the direction. The always an engineer is super useful. I listen to it myself. I appreciate it. So Harry, before we dive into the topic at hand, I think the, the listeners would love to get a little bit of color on your background. How did you get to this point? You're writing a book on prioritization. Obviously, you've been a product executive. You've been a founder. There's a lot of interesting things in your background. So what would you like the listeners to know before we dive in? Well, you know, currently I'm an executive coach primarily and working with a broad range of companies, mostly in the technology arena, mostly in the United States at this particular point. But I've been a, an executive coach at PayPal, at Google, at Microsoft. I've held executive product level positions or senior level positions in product design and development at Rackspace. I've run teams at DreamWorks, Apple, Hewlett Packard. I was the interaction designer. Most people don't know this about me, but I was the interaction designer behind the first secure usable shopping cart back in 1994 it was virtual vineyards became wine.com and it was what everybody looked at as the gold standard for simplicity of uh, interaction design when it comes to shopping online and i also and, and where i met you awesome was i was the founder of the first online demand aggregator which was a precursor to user voice and kickstarter where people can basically jump on top of wanting something and turning that desire into some kind of action. Absolutely. Well, that's great. And so you're writing a book on prioritization. So there's so many things you could be doing. What led you to writing the book? What is it about prioritization in your coaching and your experience in your background that led you to spend countless hours? As you've told me, writing a book is not easy. And of course, you know, there's many, many, many revisions. There's a lot of work that needs to go into it. So just unpack that a little bit for us. Well, the capsule summary is it, uh, of it was that I was out giving talks on other topics, but in those talks, I was touching on the topic of prioritization, and that's where people were asking me questions. They generally were not raising their hands and asking questions on many of the other topics, but I would touch on either the prioritization pyramid that I use, or I would touch on the prioritization methodology that I've ran it, that I ran at Rackspace, or I would touch on type, the types of uh, prioritization topics that I was having with my executive coaching client. That's where people were really curious about how I thought about it, 
how I was doing it. And, and in fact, one of my clients wrote up my method and put it online. And I was really shocked. And so I took that as a demand signal. I'm a product guy at heart, right? So I took that as a demand signal. Somebody wanted something and I figured how hard could it be? That right. was 20, 2016. I figured I'd knock it out in a couple of years. Everything would be fine moving on. Well, here it is 2023 and it's just about done. That's great. That's exciting. So our listeners are primarily engineers, engineering leaders, or, or folks that who work with engineers, engineering leaders. And given that I'm a recovering engineer, I've had my share of challenges with prioritization, uh, which is that everybody knows it needs to be done, but it's complicated in the sense that it is about human dynamics. It is about a lot of stuff that's coming towards you. It is about balancing between professional and personal lives. You know, I've tried my share of frameworks, you know, where I was really good at capturing the stuff, but then doing the stuff became a challenge. So, you know, what's, there's a lot of material on this topic, right? There's a lot of frameworks, a lot of material. What is different with the approach that you are bringing to the table? Like how does, and we were talking about this before the recording, like how does one make prioritization a habit? Just like brushing one's teeth or all of the other good habits that people have, that it is just second nature and then you don't fall off the wagon wheel, if you will, easily. So I'd like to take a step back for just a second and share that, you know, the best organizations in the world, the NASA's, the Apple's, the Microsoft's, they know how to prioritize. They may not do it the most efficient way possible. They may not do it the best way possible, but they know how to prioritize. And those organizations rely on teams that know how to prioritize. And those teams may be in product and design, they may be in engineering, they may be in human resources, they may be in finance, but those teams know how to prioritize. And those teams in those effective organizations are composed of individual contributors and frontline managers who have figured out how to make sure that they stay focused on what matters most. And part of the challenge is that when you talk about prioritization at the individual level, people immediately confuse it with personal productivity or time management. And when you talk about it at the level of teams, there is no holistic resource. There's no one book you can go to, to learn about prioritization. The topic is buried in individual disciplines like engineering or emergency response or clinical. And at the organizational level, it's often confused with annual or strategic planning. So there's really no resource to go to if I want to learn about prioritization, what do I do? And so typically the response is people will stumble into the world of prioritization and they'll either find the frameworks that are out there, or they'll find some of the methods or methodologies that are out there, or they'll, you know, they'll, they'll stumble into, uh, you know, what it is people say about prioritization being important without giving them a recipe for how to actually do it. And it turns out there are some methods that organizations, teams, and the most effective people on the planet are actually using. And so this is really about trying to give people some access into tools and ways of thinking that aren't widely known, but they're deeply used by people who are very effective. Got it. So it's interesting you mentioned that people conflate prioritization with personal productivity, right? I think that's a pretty common way to think about it. So a lot of times people look at 
or individuals look at prioritization as a means to reduce overwhelm, right? There's a lot of stuff happening and how do I get myself out of this, right? And what do I need to do now? And what am I going to get away with not doing now? So let's kind of define it then, right? Done well, what should be the outcome, right? If, it's just, if the framework is a black hole, which we'll get into, prioritizing well, if it's not really just personal productivity, what is happening on the other side of it that gives me confidence that I'm doing prioritization well? That's a great question. And the way I like to think about it is you're more likely to stay in control of what I call the timeline. And the timeline is this invisible thread that connects the past with the present, with the future. And it's the, in an ideal world, it's the future that you want, or that's more likely to be the future that you want. And the present is more likely to be one where you're not harried, no pun intended, yeah. or you know, crazy making, having to respond to everything while it's flying at you. And the past hopefully is something you can look back on and r reflect on, on how, you know, productive and positive and, you know, good it was. And so staying in control of the timeline, or at least increasing the likelihood that you're going to stay in control of the timeline is really the outcome. And what right. by that you end up trending toward better overall outcomes. Right. So, I mean, uh, again, uh, if I'm in the shoes of our listeners here, it's just like, okay, look, I can prioritize. And again, we'll, we'll talk about the frameworks here and do all that good stuff. But a lot of times, depending on where I am in the organization and things are dictated for me, like there are calendar mm -hmm. invites coming and everybody needs me to be in a meeting. And, you know, there are deadlines being thrown at me that maybe they're not as urgent as they should be. So there is this sense of not being in control of a lot of things that you don't have influence. So, you know, well, how do you think about that piece? Of, because again, I know what I need to do and there's mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff flying at me, but how do I, isn't there a pretty key element of expectation management in, in a lot of this? A absolutely. No question whatsoever. And it's part of why I wrote the book on prioritization as a holistic topic, because if your organization is out of control from prioritization point of view, it means that your teams are going to be overwhelmed. There are going to be too many priority ones. And if your teams have too many priority ones, it means that your individual contributors and frontline managers are going to be completely overwhelmed. And so this cascades down. And the way to reverse that trend is in effect to decouple the notion of personal productivity or time management from prioritization and recognizing that the types of problems that people experience in their work lives day to day are often the result of avoiding things they really ought to be focusing on or not having spent enough time to do things over a long period of time. You could call those strategic or long-term investments. And therefore things tend to crash in the present. And so prioritization is not so much a one-time fix. It's certainly something you can do one time to help you create a better plan or make, to make a better decision. But prioritizing prioritization is really about taking a step back and building a practice for yourself individually, for working with your teams to develop a practice and for working with your organization to develop a practice so that what you do over time is reduce the amount of stuff that's crashing in all the time, which makes it so hard to take a step back. Right. So it's a vast topic. And so if I am somebody who is struggling with prioritization right now, I'm one of the mm -hmm. listeners, what are steps I can start taking starting tomorrow, tomorrow morning, 
that can really make a meaningful difference in terms of me sort of getting back in the sense of control of things are headed. Yeah. The single most important thing you could do is when you get up in the morning, before you've looked at your phone or your, any of your devices or checked any of your read any email or looked at any media, take a few minutes and ask yourself, what am I avoiding? What am I not telling myself? What am I pretending not to know? And write those things down and then look at that list and adjust it. So the one that really is the thing that's highest, that that's on the top of the list, and then take that top item and go work on it for 15 to 20 minutes. Just figure out what it is you need to do to reduce the likelihood that it's going to force you into a position rather than you being able to control the results that you're getting. That's the single most important thing you could do. It's a lot like a, a chef in a restaurant. They take time to make sure their environment is clean and they set up their instruments and they go in and then they do their prep. And if you do that one practice of identify the thing you're avoiding, make sure it's the thing you're, you're, it, it's really consuming the energy that you've got and that you block just enough time to figure out how you're going to make progress on that, that will begin to reverse the trend. Do you have any examples from the field? Uh, again, you can be, make it anonymous for people who use it effectively. And what are the kind of things that they were running into that they were avoiding? What are, what are some examples of that? Sure. I, I'm thinking of a number. I, it's a little embarrassing only because I'm thinking of a number of clients who have implemented this and many of them have been successful and some of them have not been as successful because they've had to deal with exactly the kind of overwhelm and frustration that you're talking about. Things getting out of control for them and that's not coming back to it. So, you know, examples are having a hard conversation with somebody. You know, somebody will spend a lot of time avoiding having a hard conversation and that will consume a lot of energy and by figuring out that the thing that they need to do is have that difficult conversation and then figuring out what it is they need to say and then really getting comfortable with the fact that the conversation might go well it might not go well but in either case the conversation needs to happen they were pretending not to know they were telling themselves a story about you know how horrible this thing could be or how wonderful it could be if it went well, but the reality of it is somewhere in between. So they went and had the conversation. It turned out to go quite well. And what they were surprised to find was that all sorts of other things that they had, all sorts of other difficult conversations that they were having, which were nowhere near as important, then became a lot easier for them to go have. And so that's one example. Another example was a client who was avoiding dealing with a turned out to be a minor medical issue. <laughs> they were neglecting setting up an appointment with a doctor. Mm. And this is a classic case of, well, if it's serious and if you avoid it over time, it may turn out to be something that you can no longer avoid. And by recognizing that they were avoiding this thing and then taking steps to set up an appointment and then follow through with that appointment. They turned out that the news that they got was nowhere near as serious as they thought, and it ended up releasing a lot of energy for them to go off and do other things. So those are just two minor examples. So it seems like 
that ritual or that habit has a lot to do with releasing a lot of energy that you can then leverage to prioritize more effectively. I mean, mm-hmm. is that the, the way to look at it and really doing something head on in the morning that is in a way critical. And it also gives you that dopamine rush of like, okay, I got something done. I'm not saying it's like making your bed in the morning, at least is one task that's out of the way, but you're, you're grappling with something that's not easy a lot of times, right? And you steps to work a let me think about it for 15 minutes. What am I going to do about it? Is it scheduling a meeting? Is it jotting down some notes? You're just moving it forward. Yeah. And it's part of, it's part of a broader prioritization practice that I call a morning boot routine, like booting up a computer. And right. While some people do it in the evening and they have more energy in the evening, I personally, myself, and then recommend to other people, they do it in the morning when they're fresh, or their mind is open. And, you know, that, that notion of identify the thing that you're avoiding and then going tackling that is really one of three things that I recommend somebody do. It's that's number one. Number two is what is the thing you want to have the greatest impact in? It's think of it as a strategic goal or something, some big ticket thing that you're working on or that you'd like to be working on or, and then what can you do to move that forward? Like how can you break it down to the next possible action and then Put that on your calendar to have a meeting with yourself, which sounds kind of ridiculous, but what it really does is just increases the probability that no one else will be able to schedule that time and then take a half an hour or an hour and go work on that. Because, you know, as we all probably have heard, you know, human beings have a tremendous capacity to accomplish great things over a long period of time, but we often overestimate what we can do in a short period of time. So we underestimate these long-term strategic projects or strategic efforts if we were to go ahead and just keep working on them day in mm-hmm. and day out. And we, uh, we overestimate our ability to make progress in the short term. So if you take time in the morning, preferably, to pinpoint the thing that you need to do to move that forward, schedule some time for yourself or block off some time or know that you're going to be able to go work on it and then keep it going, keep it moving forward. At some point, you're going to seven years later have a book, or at some point later, you're going to have a new business, or at some point later, you're going to have completed an art project, or at some point later, who knows? And then the last part of the morning boot routine is really about being honest with yourself about the fact that there are crushing time pressure sensitive things that you need to address, and that, you know, you're going to need to do those before you dive into email before you dive into Slack, before you dive into the kinds of things that are going to start forcing you to react rather than proact. So if you can use that morning time to be proactive about what you're avoiding, what's strategically important and what's time sensitive, you're going to be in a much stronger position to be moving into the world day in and day out where you're in control of the timeline. Got it. So for the, I mean, certainly get the avoiding part, uh, certainly get something that is a little more longer term that needs to be done. And we, we all live in this challenge of urgent versus important, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Stuff that might not be as as impactful tends to be a lot more urgent and time sensitive and tactical and things that do impact. I mean, they mm-hmm. tend to be a little bit more longer term. So that, I get that trade off. And um, the third one on, hey, what has to, what is pressing? What needs to be done now? Now, there is a psychological challenge there because it's like, well, don't go look at email and Slack, but you don't know what else is going to go on the top of the stack mm-hmm. based on what's in my inbox. That's right. And I might be working on something that 
And then it becomes a whole cycle because if when I go into that whole Slack and uh, email vortex, then, I mean, who knows how where it's going to take me. Yeah, which is why budgeting a small amount of time to focus on the thing that you've already identified ha has that level of priority prior to going and finding that you have another competing priority at that same level in a new day is a very, very healthy practice. It becomes hygiene. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to always get to the point that you don't end up with multiple competing priorities, but you want to reduce the likelihood that that's going to happen on a regular basis. And, you know, there's a wonderful, there's a wonderful framework. There's both a qualitative and quantitative version of it called the cost of delay, right? Mm -hmm. You can think about the best analogy is, you know, the longer I wait to go get the airplane ticket, the more expensive it's going to get. Right. So when I think about a time sensitive item, you can kind of place it in the, in, in the qualitative cost of delay framework and ask yourself the question, what's going to happen to this thing if I delay it? And if you do then open your email and see something, you can start to compare, well, which one's going to have a higher cost based on the delay and then pick the thing that you're going to knock off there. That's going to have the greatest impact and not going to, not going to hit you in terms of cost of delay. Right. So though I like the morning boot routine. I think mm -hmm. that really preps you in, in many different ways. What are, you said there are people who are not able to succeed. What are the blockers? Like what, and how does one overcome them? That's interesting. So I think the biggest blocker seems to be, for lack of a more graceful term, self-deception, where people are, they'll tell themselves stories about why they can't do it. They'll tell them, you know, so some of the clients that I have, for example, I put a spreadsheet together where they have to check box the thing they're avoiding, the thing, the strategic thing and the time sensitive. They go in, did I actually identify those things? Did I work on the thing that I was avoiding? Did I calendar the thing that's strategically important? And did I actually, uh, you know, tackle the, uh, the time sensitive item before I opened up my electronic devices? And I, it's fascinating to talk to people who don't you know, the small number of clients that I've had that have wrestled with that practice have been the ones that haven't been willing to be disciplined about the practice. And by disciplined, I mean, it's one thing to actually say to yourself, I'm going to go in and do nothing more than identify the thing that I'm avoiding. I'm going to commit to that. I'm not even going to work on it. I'm just going to be clear right? That's success, right? Greater success is identifying all three things. Even bigger success is identifying them all and, and then addressing the avoidance. And then an even bigger success is setting aside time to address the, uh, the strategic item. But what's fascinating is it, I'll talk to somebody that isn't going through the process and I'll say, so, you know, what's, what's stopped you from sitting down and taking five minutes to, to identify what you're avoiding? And I'll get a story back. I won't get anything that makes a lot of sense back. I'll get a, oh, this happened and that happened. And yeah, I thought I was going to do it, but I just didn't get to it. It's a whole lot like exercise. It's a whole lot like uh, eating well. There, there are things that if you make them a priority themselves, then they themselves can start to become part of a virtuous cycle that then feeds on itself. But if you're unwilling to do those things, it's self-reinforcing that they don't get better.
Is there any help in terms of an accountability partners? If somebody's going down this path, maybe maybe they tap on the shoulder of a coworker who's maybe similarly struggling or what have you, or their spouse or a friend, so that they do this together and keep each other. I mean, if they can't afford like a coach and stuff, right? So that they keep each other accountable and honest about the practice. You know, I think in the capacity of an executive coach, I am an accountability partner, right? And I think I think that's the natural direction this will go. I think the more people that are doing things like this, the more people will start developing communities, just like the tiny habits community or the atomic habits community. The habits community has grown quite big. And I think that's to a large extent through accountability partnerships of people that are just supporting each other in, you know, spending the time to do the right thing to get to a better place. Great. So, Harry, there's a, there's a ton, obviously, in your book. Uh, again, just to summarize for our listeners, it looks like one of the most critical things is the morning boot routine. It's the start of the day. You want to be true to yourself and really jot down something that you're avoiding. It could be a tough conversation. It could be, you know, tasks that you've been avoiding. You spoke about some personal stuff like perhaps a medical issue or a challenge. Maybe it's a personal issue. Second, you mentioned was jot down something strategic and make sure there is time allocated, perhaps that day or during the week on that. And the third one is address the most pressing issue or issues, right? Uh, which will again, release your energy. So I appreciate the time. We're getting close to the end of the time here. I think there's a lot to unpack in your book. So tell our listeners when the book is coming out and what they can expect out of it. Sure. It's currently targeted to be out at the end of the summer this year, 2023. And what you can expect to get out of the book is that the first half of the book is dedicated to the DGAP process. That's decide, engage, gather, arrange, and prioritize. And that's a process framework for thinking about, do I need to prioritize or not? Do I have the time? And if I'm going to, how do I engage in that process? Then how do I gather the information? How do I arrange it? And then the second half of the book is really about prioritizing for myself by myself or prioritizing with my teammates, prioritizing in the context of a company. That's it. That's a wrap. Awesome. Uh, where can people learn more about your work? Where can they go online? So their <laughs> resources are dearth right now. I would say the best place to go is currently my, uh, my website, uh, which is just metamax, M-E-T-A-M-A-X.com. I'll be putting up a site called priorities.ai soon. And uh, that's, those are the best resources I have at this moment, but there's a lot more coming. Okay. Well, people stay tuned and I highly, highly encourage those who really want to take prioritization seriously do at minimum listen to podcasts and implement the morning boot routine uh, that Harry mentioned here, especially stuff like what you're avoiding tends to add up quite a bit over a period of time and then can lead to that feeling of 4-1. Harry, always a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. And we hope to have you on the podcast uh, at a later time as well. Perhaps by that time, the book would be out and we can uh, have you as a guest again. Well, I appreciate being here. Thank you very much. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, just visit alwaysanengineer.org.